What's the order, or what's first at least? I asked if the number first one, one comes one. first. <laughs> Thank you. Followed closely by number two. No, it's followed by B. <laughs> followed by B. Followed by Gamma. Then Roman numeral five. <laughs> then W. Then Honeydew. <laughs> then Purple. Welcome to Unimed's Innovation Overground, where we look into academic discoveries and innovations and why they never seem to actually materialize into actual things. And we want to look at why that is and what it might take to then to actually accomplish um, the commercialization of those things. So um, we are sponsored by Unimed, the Technology Transfer Office for the University of Nebraska. I'm joined by Tyler Sher and Joe Rungi. Joe is a intellectual Property lawyer, werewolf. What was it again? Entrepreneurial. Entrepreneurial werewolf. werewolf. I don't know why. At me, people. He's got a. He created. He created a Twitter account for it and everything. So, um, so go ahead and and join the inactivity there. Um, Also joined by. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, I had it coming. Uh, (laughs) I got the. uh, We're also joined by Tyler Share, who's a licensing specialist at Unimed. I'm more of a tech transfer buffalo. That's a tech transfer of bison. <laughs> yeah, sorry, bison. Yeah. I'm from South Dakota. I shouldn't have made that mistake. Yeah, no kidding. So. Jeez. What are you from, from the city? For uh, uh, shame. So anyway, Unimed is our sponsor. Um, Joe, usually you uh, have something to share at this point. I do. Please take a note to leave a review of the podcast or please uh, give us a rating. Uh, helps other people find the podcast. We like doing these stories. Please also check the future technology. It's always something cool but this week, especially so. Um, thank you. <laughs> yes, it's always something cool. And we do want to tell the stories of academic innovation, not just at Nebraska, but everywhere. Um, there's a lot of important stories to, that show how universities are making all of our lives better. And we want to tell those stories. So please, uh, please help us do that. And if you got any ideas, let us know. Um, Tyler, I... I remember um, our last show we talked about quantum computing. Yeah, and you said that made you uh, reminded you of something that you wanted to go over. What, what was that? Yeah, I want to talk about bioinformatics. So this is the application of computer processing power to biological data collection. Well, that would that would fit with quantum computing. Then supposedly you could like. Yeah, that would make do like yeah. That, that would really so I, I want to computer. I still don't understand. I want to propose that bioinformatics is a superpower, and with Quantum computing combined. Well, like like Rampage, be like mutant, super mutant, like Superman, Aquaman, <laughs> super so we're power Thor. Our, we're selling our own super Avengers. Group. We've got CRISPR and quantum computing and bioinformatics. Okay. All right. This is, yeah. So, it, okay, cool. so this is bioinformatics begins. Yes. Yeah. So with bioinformatics, with, the, with increased computer capabilities, um, you're able to take basically all biological data and in, in like the style of, a beautiful mind find all of the patterns and correlations with that biological data. So, yeah. So, um, and this this technology has been rapidly progressing. So, um, scientists called the 20th century the age of physics. Uh, the 21st century has been called by some the age of biology or biotechnology, the biotech decade uh, century. Um, uh, so, one example. I just want to give you one example: the Human Genome Project. 
think you guys are, everyone's probably aware, the Human Genome Project. This was... Help me out. I don't yeah, yeah. So th this was the, this was funded, heavily funded by the U.S. government. It was a collaboration of international scientists, not just in the when, U.S. When, when was this? Yeah, this started late 80s, early 90s, and the goal was to sequence the entire human genome. This is over 3 billion base pairs. Uh, we wanted to sequence it to essentially know um, at a genetic level what it means to be a human being, right? This is a okay. big undertaking. It took 17-odd years, I believe. It was between wow. 15 and 20 years to do. It cost billions of dollars to do. <clears throat> Since then... There's been multiple startups now that can sequence your DNA. Uh, you want to guess how much and how much how much it costs and how much time it takes? <laughs> like something like Ancestry.com kind of stuff. We're talking yeah. about Twenty Three and Me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I got I got that for Christmas. Did you? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so, so that was a uh, hundred dollars or less. Mm, yeah, I think so. <clears throat> yeah, and you got results back in a week. So Ten went from, days went from a billion dollar government program to a <laughs> stocking stuffer. <laughs> that's literally that's the power. And you yeah. know what? What did that was wasn't just a better understanding and improved uh, biology techniques, but mostly computer processing power. Honestly, so improved computers. That's so now you have quantum computing. Okay, so You're gonna be able that... to instantaneously know uh, the expression of your genes at some point. <laughs> that's remarkable. How do you go from a billion dollar project to a a $20 spit sample that so, tells you your genetic background. Back in the day when I was in grad school, um, we those were the first uh, generation of automated DNA sequencing machines. Yeah. So it went from, you know, you'd have to cast a gel, which, you know, it's very labor intensive and you'd get, you know, 100 base pairs. Okay, I'm not I'm I'm not at all being snarky here, but seriously, is casting a gel is that like are we talking about making gelatin? Yeah, it's exactly like, like making jello. It's like yep. making a plate of jello. And that's yep. labor intensive? It is because it's not Have jello. Have you never worked for a living? Because that doesn't. I've made jello. It takes a <laughs> lot of jello to sequence the human <laughs> genome, okay? I mean, we're talking. So, hey, uh, like so a whole factory making, of jello. So, so I, I, know what you're jello wrong, I know what you're thinking, but. right? You're not making jello wrong. You're, you're making sort of, you know, unpure, unrefined street level jello. This, <laughs> this is like 100%. Pure top shelf gelatin that also gives you cancer if you breathe it. Ooh. So you got to be a little careful. With okay. It. They used yeah. to call okay. Joe Heisenberg when he was in the lab. That was <laughs> bad, bad joke. All right. My gels were blue. Okay. Yeah. No. So, but it would it would take all day, and you'd get just a teeny tiny bit amount of data. And then in in the late nineties, the first like robot driven machines worked, and and those were so much more efficient. So you can get like a thousand base pairs if you were good on those. And okay. then gradually, those just got a lot better, right? And so in addition to the increase in in computer power, there's a lot of automation that okay. went along with it. All right, so we're really good now at at right. culling DNA information. That so that cheek swab that you sent to Twenty Three and Me, yeah, probably there's almost no one touching it. You know, it just goes for a series of robots in a factory somewhere, runs out the data report emails it back to you that's why it's only 100 bucks because you don't have to pay a very skilled technician to you know do the experiments okay. and, and that's kind of how things get more efficient all right so but for like bioinformatics right i mean now that we've got all this data right and we're so much more efficient in, in gathering it what, what do we do with it Tyler? yeah so so bioinformatics here at uno is really focused on applications to to uh, human health to improve human health obviously for for medicine so so we're talking medical applications one application one cool technology um is is a a diagnostic kit to to better diagnose and then also uh prognose or predict the 
the outcome of a very rare type of cancer. So this is called splenic marginal zone lymphoma. This comes from Dr. Kudakachi's lab at UNO Biology. Um, and she collaborated with some oncologists at the Med Center. And then her, her, I have to shout out her master's student as well, Jacob Robinson, who did a lot of the work here. But this is sifting through um, thousands of, of clinical trial data. So we have so we, all, these, all these patients who've had splenic marginal zone lymphoma over the past uh, odd years, odd number of years, decades. What is, to help me understand this, what is it, splenic? That's, so it's basically a cancer of your spleen. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, what, what kind of prognosis do people typically get with that kind of? How so, rare is so that? yeah, so it's pretty rare. It, okay. It's not, it's one of the rare forms of cancer. Uh, but the, one of the problems is um, there's a very, it's, uh, it's hard to tell if you have basically a benign form or a form that's going to quickly progress into something that's very hmm. deadly. So it's either really aggressive or just kind of does nothing. Uh, yes. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. Um, so, so what this grad student did was he sifted through, um, years and years and years worth of, of clinical trial patient data, um, and actually hand wrote some algorithms to help, um, and did some of it manually to help pick out what seemed to be the relevant genes, um, the, the, the biomarkers, if you will, that, that can be, um, that can be seen through either tissue biopsy samples. This is where you, they actually, they'll take a a sample of your spleen and then run some, some antibody standing on it to try to pick up these proteins that are being expressed or, um, actually even better, some genes that could be seen just in, in plasma in blood samples. So that's much less invasive. So a biomarker doesn't have to be a genetic marker, does it? It can be something else, can it? Yeah, just a biomarker. No, it can just be anything biologically that's indicative of of a certain condition. Yes, like applied bioinformatics is personalized medicine. Yeah, there we go. Thank you, Joe. And so what this bioinformatics research is doing is they're looking at just all these aggregate studies to figure out when people have the bad form of cancer, what is common about them. Gotcha. Okay. And so it's very labor intensive in the process that Tyler's talking about, because even though there's some hypotheses behind these. What's common among, but also unique too, right? Well, what's common amongst, yes, exactly. So how can we, apart from, you know, what, what phenomenon are the same in this group of bad outcome cancers versus good outcome cancers? It might be the the, the cancer cell exudes some sort of protein or something along those lines, and that's a biomarker. And what could be something in the genetic code? Yeah, and then it might be that it, it expresses... Uh, with a high probability, this certain protein at this certain stage. So it's highly correlative to early stage or late okay. stage. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. what can we do about that then? Yeah. So with this, so so the the traditional treatment actually for any sort of um, assumption or if, if it looks, so if you have an enlarged spleen, for example, or it looks like you might have this type of splenic cancer, um, doctors traditionally would just remove your spleen. Just let's just get it. Right. We're just going to get it out because we have a, we can't track it in real time. We don't know when it's going to flip the switch or if it's going to flip the switch and turn into something that's deadly, right? Uh, with something like this, with this diagnostic, that they could tell if it's benign or malignant, um, and they could tell it with, with just a blood draw. You don't have to even go in invasively and take a tissue sample. Um, and then they could also um, track it then in real time to, to know when they maybe have to do so that can, more significant intervention. They can do that blood draw now and find out if it's aggressive or the benign type? So the technology currently uh, would need to be validated okay. still. Yep. So this is, it's very early. So we're still, okay. So yeah. uh, just to back up for just a second, though, how badly do we need a spleen? 
<laughs> I hear about people getting it removed a lot when it gets yeah. rip, ruptured or something like a car yeah, accident. The, there a was football that. player might have a ruptured spleen. They take it out and they seem to be fine, kind of like people with gallbladders, I guess. Maybe have a hard time with fat. But Yeah, there was that really funny YouTube video, I think, from Harvard Medical School. What does the spleen do? Yeah. Kind of a parody I w- song as well. I would be, I'd be curious <laughs> to know what. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, guess we can get along fine with that one if need be. My, so I think the conservative answer there <laughs> that most most scientists and clinicians would lean on um, is that it has to be doing something beneficial. So spleen, for example, is <laughs> definitely be, is definitely it's beneficial there for a reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's there for a reason. All right. Well, um, so I'm glad I still have my tonsils. Then. So it, so it plays some role in in my wisdom in, teeth in the immune response. Uh, for example, it's 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 recognized now as some sort of immune organ. Um, along with like a, your, uh, yeah, so it's, so I think part of it too, is that, you know, anytime you remove an organ, there's, you know, risk of something going wrong. And so if you can spend a day with your, you know, spleen of questionable use, <laughs> yeah, it's a good day. That's what my dad would <laughs> hey, say. I still got Any all day my... you still got your spleen, it's a good day. It's I still got day. all my parts. Yeah. Factory so. original. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Except for that one. <laughs> original. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, Tyler, go ahead. Oh, no problem. Um, so, yeah, so that is one really cool use of bioinformatics. Another one out of UNO I just want to touch on really briefly. Um, another collaboration between UNO um, and the Peter Kewitt Institute and uh, some researchers at UNMC, Drs. Bastola, Singh, and Zhang, is actually developing an AI program, an algorithm, if you will, that would that would automatically sift right, through gonna, all this patient data. Let me interrupt you real quick because yeah. I, hear that, I hear that get thrown out all the time watching bad sci-fi um, I wrote an algorithm to, I don't know, it seems like to be the answer to hack, like, you know, the NSA mainframe, yes. algorithms everywhere. What's an algorithm? Just yeah. help me, please. Yeah, it's a pretty nebulous term. It's yeah. used interchangeably, right? I, so it's not an equation. Okay. <laughs> I always thought, equation, I always thought yeah. it was just some like A squared plus B squares. Oh, wait, no, that's the theorem. Um, no, no, no. So, yeah. So what is an algorithm? So an algorithm, uh, so an algorithm can be illustrated, I guess, with like a, with like a flow chart. So it's, it's sort of a, a system of statements, um, of, of code, for example, that, that allows you to differentiate, um, one thing from another systematically until oh. you end up with a, with a, a yes or no, basically answer. Oh, okay. Sounds like, so it sounds like a, um, almost like a, like a program. Yeah, definitely. Yep, computer program. Okay, so I go. remember like when I was my when I was a kid, I wrote a program that said, "Okay, when the screen turns on, ask who the person who are you?" Mm-hmm. And if the if that answer equals Charlie, then the screen would blink and say, "You are awesome." Nice. And if it was not Charlie, then it was you are not awesome. There you go. Uh, that the, you I wrote an it, algorithm. I did. Okay, right? That's basically what it is. You've it's authored an, an algorithm. A condition. If yeah. the condition is yeah, met, yeah. then it exactly. moves on to the next stage in the logic and yeah, yeah, so yeah, forth, yeah. right? Yeah, so, okay. so if we're only talking about uh, maybe 10 possible genes we have to sift through here, you can imagine that, that a human can do that manually pretty easily. But now right. if we're talking about thousands of genes and 100,000 clinical samples, it <laughs> that's a daunting task for oh, a human. Yeah. So that's where you need that processing power. Okay, the quantum power you're talking about. Well, quantum would make it, uh, that would just take it to the next level. But oh, we can even do it without nothing. quantum. Yeah, I mean, that's, so quantum oh, could basically, uh, my, my kind of crazy thinking, sci-fi theory here is, I, I mean, quantum could basically let us know in real time with the right sensors um, how your your genes are being turned on or off based on the hamburger you ate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that just... 
Okay. <laughs> We're on biomarkers, man. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll. Do you have any quantum we'll, biomarkers? We'll set that aside for a second. Okay. No, no quantum biomarkers. No more quantum. We did that last episode. My brain still. It's hurts. entangling this one. Yes. <laughs> there is some entanglement. Um, there's also some entanglement you. with. I want to shout out uh, an outside technology as well. So. Um, so, so, so most of these diagnostics and prognostics require tissue samples. I mentioned one of them, one of our technologies could possibly use a plasma sample, a blood draw. Um, there's a, a technology, another diagnostic out of the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center in Seattle, Washington, that ha- that's for colon cancer. This is really critical. If you can detect colon cancer, uh, basically, as is the case with most cancers, the earlier the better. But with colon cancer, we're talking about a 60% change in, in five-year survival. So if you detect it early enough... Even like uh, like phase two B or something, a little a little ways in versus um, stage three, I should say, stage two versus stage three, you go from seventy two percent five year survival to twelve percent. So it's really critical wow. to detect that early. And there aren't obvious overt signs. You're not going to necessarily collapse in pain or something. You could just be this could just be occurring in your body. Um, but so so with a blood draw, if you do a, just a blood draw on an annual um, health screen anyway, your annual checkup. Now with this blood draw uh, technology, this diagnostic kit from Fred Hutchinson, uh, you could possibly detect colon cancer early enough to intervene, um, saving a lot of money, hopefully saving a lot of lives. How far out is this thing from the reality? Uh, this also needs to be validated clinically, so it's it's still preclinical. So what does that take well. to validate this a type of a diagnostic is what you're talking about, right? So what does yeah. it take to validate that and get it on the market where it can help people? Yes. So I mean, it's it's still it's going to need an infusion of some money, um, oh, a lot of money. So money. what that pays for is there needs to be a study done, probably at multiple places. Yeah. That actually looks at real patients and makes a prediction, and then actually follows them to see if the prediction is true. Um, oh, and so then, we're talking years. And yeah. then years. ideally, long term validation. Select those patients yeah. in a way that does that. The, the intermediate step is to find a biobank or a clinical bank of data where it's already been collected and then compare it against that. Okay. And so it's just a question of, you know, what is the product? What is the FDA claims that you're going to want to make against it? Yeah. How is that, you know, what is that going to require as far as data goes? Something like this could pay uh, big dividends down the road, though, for um, investors. If it, if it were to be part of an annual checkup after, say, the age of, like, 50 or something, once, when your incidence or when when the your your risk of colon cancer increases. oh you're talking about it being something that they do just as a matter of course they check yep. your blood pressure yep they, you, you go in you get your yeah yep exactly okay. wow yeah well, on that note I think it's time to come to ground on this one unless yeah. there's more to add thank you for joining us I'm Charlie Litton um, be sure to check the program notes for a couple links to some of those biomarker bioinformatics stuff that Tyler was talking about uh, for Tyler Sherrod Joe Rungi uh, thank you for joining us on the innovation overground. <laughs>